Uh, you guys, uh, in two weeks, on July 7th, Adrian and I will be celebrating our 15th wedding anniversary. All right? We, we started dating in grade 10, uh, which means that at this point in our lives, we've been together longer than we've been apart. And uh, I know what you must be thinking, wow, Lucas, you must be so patient <laughs> to have been married to Adrian for that long. And you're right, I am patient. And, but just as my guy Peter said in the book of Peter, love con conquers a multitude of sins. So uh, that's, that's, that's how we make it work. But you know how it goes, right, with, with relationships. Any relationship you're in, whether it's a friendship or even if it's romantic, um, if you spend enough time with someone, you're going to discover that there's things that they do that annoy you, right? This is just, if, you say, if you've been married 15 years and you say you're not annoyed by your partner, you're lying, you're lying, you're lying, I know you're lying. Uh, we discover these things. Um, and this is one of the things that uh, Adrian does that annoys me, I discovered about 10 years ago. So we're, we're just going to dive right into this. Um, we were, we were on a vacation, just the two of us, and we were staying at the Aria Hotel in Vegas, which is a really nice hotel. And uh, the Aria has the, at the time, had the highest rated buffet in, uh, in Vegas. And they, they serve the sort of things like, like crab legs that are like pre-cut, so you don't even have to like crack them yourself. Uh, bacon wrapped beef uh, filet, uh, lobster tails, like, it is just, it was the fanciest buffet, and we had to wait in line a long time to get in, and it was really expensive to get in. And we get in there, and honestly, the area where they serve the food is probably three times the size of this room, right? It's this huge and just amazing buffet. And so we set apart on our own separate ways to explore, and I loaded my plate up with all of the expensive food. There was no starches, no vegetables, no anything cheap, nothing cheap was on my plate. Uh, and then I came back, this, you know, this tower of crab legs, I'm sitting down, and then Adrian returns and sits down across from me, and I look, and on her plate, the only thing on her plate are, is biscuits and gravy. <laughs> 10 cents worth of prison food. And I, I just couldn't believe that here we are at this international buffet of amazingness and she wanted 10 cents of prison food. <laughs> Annoying. <laughs> but when it comes to faith, what Jesus makes available to us is kind of like that buffet. Jesus offers everything we could ever want or need. Uh, he offers us life, and not just run-of-the-mill sort of life, but life to the full, life abundant. This is a promise that Jesus has made to us, and yet it is possible to sit at the table that Jesus has set for us and make the mistake of only enjoying biscuits and gravy, but only enjoying what is comfortable, only enjoying what we know. It is possible for us to miss the depths of the riches and the abundance of what it means to follow Jesus and never venture deeper into the more rewarding and satisfying part of being a Jesus follower. And whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, uh, my simple message for you today is that Jesus has more for you. And he wants more for you 
today. Jesus himself put it this way. He said, the thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and destroy. And he says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. There is more for you today at the table that Jesus has set for you. And today we're going to look at an event in the life of Jesus uh, that is recorded and documented by the disciple John. John was one of the original 12 disciples. Uh, but more than that, John was one of Jesus' closest friends. John had a front row seat to the life of Jesus. And he was there when Jesus performed his first miracle, turning water into wine. He was there when Jesus felt, fed the multitudes with just a basket of scraps. And he was there, he was the guy that Jesus trusted from the cross when he was looking down and he saw his mother alone. John was the guy that Jesus said, John, please take care of my mother. It's John who brings us this story today that we're going to look at. And it picks up in John chapter 4. And Jesus and the disciples, they had been preaching uh, the kingdom of heaven. And they had been baptizing people in Judea, much to the disdain of the Pharisees. And Judea was kind of the center of Jewish life in this age. Uh, Judea was kind of, kind of like a province. And contained within that province was the city of Jerusalem. And in the city of Jerusalem, the temple. So this place that Jesus is teaching is kind of the center of the Jewish world at the time. And the religious elite there were growing incredibly impatient with Jesus and his teaching. And, and it made Judea a very uh, dangerous and hostile place for Jesus to be. And so Jesus decided uh, that he was going to travel north to Galilee with his disciples and let the heat die down in Judea. Uh, just let, it, let the pressure disappear a bit. And John tells us that on their way to Galilee that they chose to travel through Samaria. And it's important for us to stop here at this part of the story. It's easy to miss the relevance of that fact. Uh, it's worth stopping to have a brief history lesson. So at this point in history, Jews and uh, Samaritans have a deep, deep rift between them. There is an incredible amount of racism on both sides of these people groups. Um, <clears throat> it was so bad, the disdain for each other was so bad, that often Jews traveling north to go to Galilee like Jesus and his disciples are doing now, uh, they, would go, uh, they would go east, cross the Jordan River, and then travel north so that they never had to travel through Samaria. They would add days to their travel just so they didn't have to see any Samaritans. Um, and it, it, was, it was all born out of a, a deep rift that happened several hundred years earlier. And there's racism. It's, it's just, there was, it was a deep rift between these two people groups. And even though uh, Jews and Samaritans shared the same ancestors, so like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, Jews considered Samaritans half-breeds. And, and even though they all worshipped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, Samaritans were excluded from worship at the temple in Jerusalem. The racism and the alienation between these two people groups ran deep. And even with all this history, right, all this, all this cultural significance, Jesus decides to travel through Samaria on his way to Galilee. And John tells us that eventually he came to the Samaritan vi village of Sychar near the vi field where Jacob gave to his son Joseph, um, 
Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. And Jesus takes a break at Jacob's well and tells the disciples to go into town and to get him food. And Jacob's well is this ancient well, thousands of years old at that point. And as far as we can best tell, it still exists today. And you can visit this very well if you go to the Middle East. And Jesus is resting at this ancient well dug by their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And Jesus is resting there. And John tells us, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Now, there are two things interesting happening in this one little line. First, it's not surprising that Jesus asked the Samaritan for a drink of water. What is actually surprising is that Jesus spoke to her at all. Not only would it be culturally inappropriate for Jesus to speak to a woman without her husband present at this time, uh, it would also be unheard of for a person of Jesus' stature, a rabbi, to speak with a woman or even maintain eye contact with her. Jesus is risking his reputation. Now, whether I'm not, this is not prescriptive. This is not a good way to be. This is just the way it was, right? I'm just telling you, this is the racism that existed, the cultural norms that existed at this time. And Jesus is risking his reputation here. And the second interesting part of this line is that it's strange that this woman has come to the well at noon. Getting water was serious labor, uh, and women would typically do it in the cooler hours of the morning. It was a chance for them to do it outside of the noonday sun, and it was also a chance for community, right? They would spend time together, the women at the well. It was relational. Uh, Nobody goes to the well at the heat of the Middle Eastern day, right? That's crazy. Instead, this woman has arrived at the well at a time when she expects nobody to be there. And this reminds me of uh, something that me and Adrian had happened to us. When we got married, we got married in Arkansas. And um, people were really generous and kind, and we got a lot of wedding gifts. But there is no way for us to get the wedding gifts from Arkansas back to Canada, right? Luckily for us, the only store in the Adrian's town where we got married is a Walmart, And so they accepted a refund on all of the gifts that we got for our wedding. Here's the catch. Adrian wouldn't let me go at any time of the day. She made me go at 2 in the morning to return our wedding gifts because she didn't want anybody who gave us the gifts to see me returning their gifts to Walmart. She didn't want that shame hanging over her. And this woman at the Welsh, her shame is so heavy that she has intentionally come to the well at a time of day when she knows nobody is going to be there. But Jesus is there. And Jesus asks her for a drink of water. And and John tells us, the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And she cannot believe that Jesus would look at her, let alone speak to her. And, and this is a common thing nowadays that people still feel about Jesus. We are, we are shocked sometimes to realize that Jesus cares about us. People struggle to believe that God loves them at all. And people hear the words, Jesus loves you, and they may hear it with their ears, but they never experience it in their souls. 
She asks Jesus, why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus tells her, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. If you only knew who I was. If you only knew what I could offer you. If you only knew what, what I want for you is so much better than what you already have. The Samaritan woman thinks Jesus is talking literally here about literal water. And, and there's a good reason for that. There's a difference between living water and well water, right? There's always a risk that well water can become contaminated or go bad. It can accumulate stuff that gets, that's bad for you. But living water, living water describes like a stream or a river. It's moving water. It stays fresh. It stays clean because it's always moving. Living water flowed from a source. It's why when you were a kid, you were told not to drink standing water in the forest, right? You get beaver fever. I don't know anybody who's ever got beaver fever. I feel like my parents are lying to me. But you can drink flowing fresh water. It's safer than standing well water. The Samaritan woman challenges Jesus here at this point. She says, but sir... You don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? She's looking at Jesus. She says, you don't even have a bucket, right? How are you going to give me water? You don't even have a bucket. And where the heck are you going to get this water from? There's no streams or rivers around here. Why do you think they had to build a well in this desert? There's no living water. We are in the middle of a desert. And then she gets a bit offended at the same time. She says, her and her people have been coming here for thousands of years. Who is Jesus to suggest this water isn't good enough? Who does he think he is to suggest there's a better way to do it than the way they've always done it? And Jesus is not deterred by her response, and he simply replies, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. There is more for you. There is more for you than the same well that you've gone back to time and time again that only leaves you thirsty and wanting more in the end. What Jesus gives can never fade. What does he offer? It's everlasting. Now, here's the question. This is the, the one question that I want each one of us to ask ourselves today. What is the well that you go back to over and over and over again, that always leaves you wanting more. That always leaves you tired and thirsty and unsatisfied. And it's different for each one of us. Now, maybe you feel insecure about yourself, right? Your well is insecurity. So you put your time and energy into crafting a life on social media that will get you that little shot of dopamine when somebody likes or comments on a picture of you. It feels good for a moment, right? But it's fleeting. That feeling never lasts. You need to know that Jesus has more for you than that. And maybe the well that you keep returning to is at the bottom of a bottle. 
And life's realities are just too much for you. And, and you'll drink whatever you can just to numb the pain. And no matter that you know, that hangover is still coming. The truth is Jesus has more for you than that. And maybe the well you go back to is, is a crystal that you depend on. You hold it in your hand or you carry it around in your pocket and it makes you feel like somehow, in some way, you can exert some sort of control over your circumstances. That energy that you might feel, it never lasts. There's always another crystal. There's always another ritual. I know Jesus has more for us than that. Or maybe you find comfort in a deck of tarot cards. You feel like your life is chaotic and out of control, and the message in those cards can help you feel some semblance of control or some semblance of understanding of what's happening to you in your life, but there's always another card to pull. And I know that Jesus has more for you than that. And maybe your well is performance. This is one I struggle with a bit. You try to earn the respect and the peers and the love and the affirmation of your friends for always doing a good job, being the first one in and the last one out, working harder than everyone else to prove your worth. But if your worth depends on what you do, you'll never be satisfied. Jesus wants more for us than that. And maybe for you, the well that you keep coming back to is church. You show up on Sunday, you punch your time card, you clock out, and you put in your time because you know that's what you're supposed to do, but your faith has become routine and apathetic. You're no longer experiencing the feeling of Jesus that you once knew. The truth is, I know that Jesus has more for you than that. What is the well that you keep returning to and walking away still thirsty? What motions do you go through that time and time again leave you feeling empty? It's in this place that Jesus offers himself as a living water that never disappoints. He offers himself as the one you can go to to discover abundance. Living water that springs out from within you. Living water that source is the creator of the universe. Living water that Jesus has designed just for you. And it never runs out and it always satisfies. Jesus wants more of that for you. And the question is, do you want that for yourself? The Samaritan woman still, in the story, still doesn't really understand what Jesus is talking about. And it's very likely that she's being a little sassy here in this next part. She says, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. She's probably being sarcastic. I was guessing. If it was my wife in this story, she'd be saying this sarcastically. And Jesus says, go and get your husband. And Jesus told her. And she tells him, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. And Jesus knows her. He knows that she has spent her whole life seeking affirmation and affection and approval in all the wrong places. And he loves her so much that he is unwilling to let her keep returning to that well that never leaves her satisfied. He loves her so much that he wants to exchange that which leaves her empty for that which will ne let her never thirst again, life overflowing. 
there is this ancient Jewish practice uh, of pouring water or wine into a cup until it overflows over the edge of the cup. It's commonly referred to in Psalms, uh, including Psalm 23, where it says, my cup overflows with blessings. An overflowing cup symbolizes God's abundance poured out for you. He wants more for you than just enough. He wants your life to overflow with the gifts of his spirit, spirit, things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, they tell us, there is no law. And these are the things that Jesus wants your life to overflow with. He doesn't want you going back to that well that never satisfies. He wants to be the river of living water that sweeps you off your feet. The Samaritan woman uh, was someone who was so caught up in her shame that she'd only go to the well when she knew nobody else was there. This woman who she spent her whole life looking for love at the bottom of an empty well. This woman who by any right Jesus should have never even spoken to. This woman, she became the very first person Jesus would tell his own personal truth to. She is the first one Jesus told that he was the Messiah, the one who had come to rescue the world. And after Jesus told her this, she left her bucket at that well, and she ran back down to her village, and she told him all about this man, Jesus, who changed her life forever. She became the first person to preach the good news that Jesus had come to rescue the world. John tells us that day many Samaritans decided to follow Jesus because of what that Samaritan woman told them that day. We're going to close in a moment, and I'm going to invite Shauna to come back up, and uh, and we're going to spend a moment doing a practical listening exercise. But before I get back to that, um, uh, many of you will know that we have a prayer team here at Fort City, and they meet together on Monday nights, and they, uh, they pray for everything. They, Blair Thompson, he leads this team. If you've sent a request in or asked us to pray, that's the team that is doing that praying every week. They hold us up in prayer, and we are incredibly grateful for what they do. Some of you, your first connection with Fort City came through that prayer team, right, where you submitted a, a request for prayer, and they prayed for you. Um, Sorry. Two months ago, I joined uh, one of the prayer night evenings, and they were praying like they do for the staff here and for each one of you. And uh, James Knelson uh, spoke up and started praying, uh, and he, he prayed for us, and he had this picture in his head that he prayed for us. Uh, it was a picture of a river. And each one of us were at different points stepping into this river. For some people, they're still on the shore. Some people, they're just dipping their toes. Some people were up onto their knees. Others were up to their waists. And James prayed that wherever each one of us stood in the river, that we would trust God enough to take the next step deeper, to move deeper into the presence of God, to seek more of what the Spirit has to offer us. To take hold of the life and the power of purpose of what it means to be a Jesus follower. The truth is Jesus wants more for you. 
And so today we're going to finish our service with a moment of reflection and prayer. We believe that Jesus speaks. And sometimes he speaks through pictures. And sometimes he speaks through words kind of in our mind's eyes. Sometimes he speaks through people we trust in our lives. But we do believe that Jesus speaks. And we need to make sure that we are taking time to listen. And so we're going to do something practical right now. Uh, Sean is going to play quietly for us for just a minute or two. And I want each of us to take a moment, a quiet moment, to reflect and to ask Jesus a very simple question. What is the well that I frequent that is not satisfying? What is the well that I go to that is not that is leaving me more empty than before? What is the well that I am going to that you want me to stop going to? And it could be anything. A place or a practice you go to for comfort or distraction or affirmation. And we're going to ask Jesus this question. We're going to be silent for a few moments together. And then after that, I'm going to pray for us that we would experience a new and fresh, that living water that only comes from the person of Jesus. That we would take Jesus up on his offer of water that will never leave us thirsty again. Now, I know this sort of thing can be a little bit uncomfortable, what we're about to do. I Don't be uncomfortable. We're just going to be silent together, ask God a question individually. Uh, if you don't want to do that, you can just sit there silently. Nobody will know you're not doing it. So that's okay. But let me encourage you, just take a moment, quiet your mind and your heart, and just listen for the voice of Jesus. If you'd like, you can close your eyes now. Let's do this together. We're going to be quiet for a few moments together. Ask Jesus to speak to you. What well do I frequent that I need to leave behind? Jesus is speaking to some of us right now and revealing to us right now. The truth is that Jesus doesn't want us to just stop going to the well altogether. Actually, he wants us to turn towards him. Jesus said this, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his morning, I know that 
that Jesus wants more for you. And I'm going to pray for each one of us now that wants to experience that more in our daily lives. And if that's you, if your person wants more of what Jesus has to offer you, I'm going to ask you to stand now. If you want more of his spirit in your life this morning, you can stand wherever you are in the room. If you want to stop going back to those dry wells and experience the rivers of living water that Jesus, that flows from the heart of Jesus, then you can stand. And like James prayed for us, if you want to take a step deeper into the river of the presence of Jesus, then go ahead and pray with me. Jesus, we come to you this morning like that Samaritan woman at the well. Many of us feeling unworthy. Many of us feeling like we don't belong, like we're not good enough. How could you love us? And for so many of us, Jesus, we, we have these places, these practices in our lives that we go to for affirmation, affection, we go to for encouragement, we go to for distraction, things that maybe numb the pain. Jesus, these wells leave us unsatisfied and more empty than when we first went to them. Jesus, we thank you that in their place, you offer life, life to the full. And from your heart flows rivers, And so I pray for us, the prayer James prayed for us two months ago. Now wherever we are in our faith, wherever we are in that river, the presence of Jesus, that we would take one step further and experience more of what you have for us, the life, the love, the purpose, the presence of our loving creator, our Father in heaven, Spirit moves and works through each one of us. Jesus, fill us again, fresh and new with your Holy Spirit. Pray this in the host's names. Amen.